You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon, reporting for WFHB. This is Deke Hager. And I'm Noelle Herhusky-Schneider. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, January 9th, 2023. In today's feature report, WFHB News Director Cade Young speaks with Christine Herring, Executive Director for the People and Animals Learning Service, about the therapeutic benefit of equine-assisted services. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, we have a new segment titled Activate, first-person narratives from people working for positive change, done in collaboration with the Bloomington Volunteer Network. But first, your daily headlines. On January 5th at the election board meeting, election supervisor Karen Wheeler informed the board on the recount of District 62 ballots between Dave Hall and Penny Givens. And so on the state, which is the District 62 representative between um, Penny Githens and Dave Hall, Dave Hall still kept his title as representative from District 62. It, it, it included three counties, all of Brown County, I believe three precincts from Jackson County and 29 count precincts from Monroe, which was like 18,500 ballots. I'm rounding that up or off there. It went incredibly well. Also, they started on a Tuesday around 3.30, finished around 6 or 7 that night, and then they reconvened in the next day and finished on Wednesday, and they were expecting to finish on Friday and maybe even run into Monday. So it went extremely well. Um, We had a lot more people working on that one. And the end result there, too, I believe at the beginning, Penny was behind by 40 votes. And with the end, it was, was it 74? 74 vote difference that, so Dave Hall won by 74 votes there. Of course, that didn't all come from Monroe County, and so it was between the three counties. But it was pretty fascinating to see how it's all done and the precision and all the things that go into it. It was worth watching. Hopefully, we never have to do it again, but we learned a lot. Chief Deputy of Monroe County Circuit Courts, Tressia Martin, broke down the numbers of the election. Board member Donovan Garlitz asked Martin about the technical portion of the vote margin. So on Penny Githens, the state counted 10,615. We reported 10,620. For Dave Hall, we had said they counted 7,904. We counted 7,897. So it was a swing of five different votes in Monroe County, correct? Mm -hmm. Is that what I'm hearing? Difference, yes. Well, that switched Mm -hmm. because it's the same number on both sides. Yes. So that would make up for a a margin of 10 in the, in the tallying, but either way, the reason I was asking is, um, we, 
I was curious to see if these were all adjudicated ballots, manually adjudicated ballots, or ballots that were perhaps <clears throat> scanner errors, um, because I believe that five votes between a group of three folks or a group of three different folks or five different folks from the state could easily be changed oh, yes. mm -hmm. uh, due to human, uh, just human error and or human, their opinion. Martin explained how voter errors work and how ballots get adjudicated. Garlett's question if the vote difference happened between early mail-in voting. Martin said that could be the case, but added it could also be an issue with the voters incorrectly filling out straight party tickets on election day. When the voter scans their own ballot and they've overvoted, the scanner spits it back out and tells them that you have overvoted and they can cast ballot as is. So that race is not counted at all. But when someone votes by mail, they don't have that opportunity. So those are the ones that the election board adjudicates on election night. Correct. Because the scanner picks out that vote and shows it to you guys when you're sitting together. And then you choose whether to accept that vote or let it go, reject it. When humans do it, they can look at the ballot and say, they did overvote, but look, they has an, has an arrow that says, take this one where they can accept that one where the scanner will not. So my assumption would be that of the five votes that were changed, it's unlikely, um, without knowing the procedure of SBOA, um, in and out, it would be probably the difference in those early, early mail-in It could have been. Ballots. Also, too, sometimes people, instead of filling in the straight party ticket, instead of filling in the circle, They'll fill in the icon. The scanner doesn't accept that, but when the state board was there, they made a decision to accept those. So it could have been it could election have been those. day. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yes. Wheeler said after talking with someone from the state, it seemed that some voters filled out the icon instead of the box for straight party tickets. The state decided to include those ballots in the recount where the scanners initially rejected them. And I did talk to the state board of accounts, I think it was yesterday. And it was probably, she said it was probably most of them that they had marked the icon and not the box. And so it was an error on the voter. But when you can look at it, then the person recounting can choose and they can see that this is what they wanted, but the scanner cannot. Board member David Henry thanked all of those involved with the recount. However, he pointed out to 17 missing votes in Brown County as a cautionary tale for future elections. Oh, Mr. Chairman, if I may, I just wanted to take a moment on this particular point and, uh, and, and say a few words. Uh, first, I wanted to thank uh, Clerk Brown and the staff of the election board for the recounts. Um, it is a corner of Indiana law that is rarely executed, uh, but when we do have a chance to do it, um, I think we proved that here in our county, uh, the work was exemplary, and I think that was also recognized by the State Board of Accounts in their it communication was. with you. So I want to thank uh, the clerk and um, the staff for executing a uh, very detailed recount in our community. Um, as clerk, as uh, Karen had mentioned, uh, Donovan, um, yeah, the 62nd was shared, of course, in other counties with Jackson and Brown County, and um, the experience that, um, at least as a petitioner, and I can speak in that capacity today as the petitioner in that case, had was very different. Um, Brown County, I think, is a cautionary tale uh, for those of us that are working in great counties uh, to pay attention to what happens when a community does not house all of its uh, election materials in one location. Uh, in Brown County, there were 17 ballots that were 
lost that have never been recovered. And so um, in that re manual recount. And so um, as, as the story was told um, and, and the trying to, to find every ballot to manually recount, there was a bit of a paper chase to the county commission's office, to the county council. And so I, I think it's a good lesson to keep in mind as we think about um, how to store these materials uh, from election day onward. Um, and uh, as, as, a, as a tale for us to follow there. So again, I just want to thank um, the, this board and this uh, clerk and this, this county for great work done. Thank you. The recount confirmed Dave Hall's victory over Penny Givens in the House 62 race. The next election board meeting will be held on February 2nd. In today's feature report, WFHB News Director Cade Young speaks with Christine Herring, Executive Director for the People and Animal Learning Service. Herring discusses the therapeutic benefit of equine-assisted services and the unique relationship between humans and horses. We now turn to that story. By definition, equine-assisted therapy encompasses a range of treatments that involve activities with horses to promote human physical and mental health. According to the Integrative Life Center, this kind of therapy can improve self-image, increase empathy, and promote stress tolerance. Christine Herring is the Executive Director for the People and Animal Learning Service, or PALS, a nonprofit adaptive writing center located in Bloomington, Indiana. Herring says that PALS promotes joy, quality of life, better health, and empowerment by providing therapeutic programs with horses. PALS is a nonprofit adaptive writing center located here in Bloomington, Indiana. And we provide uh, equine assisted services to folks with disabilities, veterans, senior citizens at-risk youth, and folks engaging in addiction recovery. Um, we provide recreational activities with horses that offer many physical, emotional, and social benefits for a really diverse population. We are a PATH, International Premier Accredited Center, and, and that's a fancy way of saying that we are accredited by the Professional Association of Therapeutic Horsemanship, and this ensures that we're following the gold standard for the industry, uh, that we are one of the best, uh, with a, among the best in the country. Our services, it's important to note, vary by the needs of our clients, and the lessons are individually designed by our instructors, um, who are PATH certified instructors as well. So we provide therapeutic or adaptive riding, uh, groundwork, and horse care activities. She walked through the therapeutic benefit of equine-assisted services to people with disabilities, veterans, senior citizens, and at-risk youth. It's no surprise that for thousands of years, people have been drawn to horses because of the emotional and physical benefits that we get from engaging with them. There's the old saying, the outside of a horse is good for the inside of a person. And um, I think that is very true. Horses have a very strong desire to connect with us, and they can make talking about our feelings and understanding our emotions a little easier. Uh, and we can learn to speak their language 
and this gives us confidence and can be very empowering for someone to be able to communicate with a you know 1200 pounds equine and it helps to build confidence so they can face more difficult challenges in their life the rhythm and motion of a horse can help us improve our balance and coordination and strengthening our bodies and when we connect with a horse our actually our minds, bodies, and souls have just this great place to heal and grow. So what we do at PALS, we make that connection possible for uh, our clients every day. Herring spelled out the history of PALS and how the organization came together. She gave the backstory of how she came to be involved as executive director. Well, PALS has been a part of the Bloomington community now for 22 years, and it was started in the year 2000 by our founder, Fern Goodman. And she identified a need for equine-related uh, recreational activities for folks with disabilities in our community. So she acquired her advanced path instructor certification in California at the Shea Center. And she brought her knowledge back here to Bloomington and created a center here called PALS. Uh, we've logged over 21,000 hours of service and currently serve over 115 active clients in our community. I've been the executive director for PALS now for just a little over a year. I was a part of the Bloomington, have been a part of the Bloomington community for well over 30 years, and I've worked at IU for 17 years. But horses have been a very critical part of my life, a very influential part of my life, for all my life, actually. And so I found out about PALS, and uh, when the position came open, I applied, and it's it's been just very satisfying. It, it really is where I need to be. She said that the volunteers experience the therapeutic benefits of equine services in real time, providing examples of those who found the practice rewarding. There was a young man who is nonverbal, who wouldn't really open up and couldn't communicate well with people. But when he came to PALS, he connected with one of our horses and just started talking in full sentences to Frankie um, about his day. And that's one example. Uh, we have a group of three young clients who are all on the spectrum who started out in a group lesson together. And they've become fast friends. They even switched schools so they could be close to each other and their families are very close and they celebrate you know, holidays together. Let's see, there's a senior citizen who uh, was having mobility issues and her physical therapist recommended uh, she come to PALS because she was very passionate about horses. And she actually began riding at the age of 78. And uh, it really did help imp improve her mobility. There are just so many stories to share. PALS is a volunteer nonprofit organization. So adequate staffing always proves a concern. Herring described ways volunteers can get involved and what volunteer positions are available. We're always welcoming volunteers. You can go to our website, uh, which is palstherapy.org, and you can click on the volunteer tab and simply fill out a volunteer application. And our volunteer coordinator will get back with you. Or you can just email our volunteer coordinator directly at volunteer at palstherapy.org for more information. Uh, as you can imagine, uh, volunteers are absolutely essential to our program. Each adaptive riding client needs anywhere from one to three volunteers in order to participate in a lesson. 
uh, if we do not have volunteers to support our client, we have to cancel the session, which it doesn't happen very often, but occasionally it does. Um, we need someone to lead the horse and focus upon its well-being during the ride. And those folks uh, usually are, are people who have some experience and comfort level with, hor with horses. We also need up to two side walkers. And these, these folks walk on each side of the horse while the rider is mounted. And their focus is to ensure that the client remains secure and safe in the saddle during the lesson. Uh, we also have an extensive training program, so don't feel like you have to walk in as a volunteer and know all of these things. We spend a lot of time in these specific areas training folks so that they know all of the safety precautions and the policies and procedures, et cetera. Uh, but if you're not interested in working with horses, we can always uh, use help with keeping the facility in top shape because we have a 20-acre facility here. Uh, lots of fencing, lots of barn work, uh, cleaning stalls, and also I have to put a plug in here as being the ED. I, I can always use help with grant writing, data analysis, administrative assistance, we have special events, and of course, fundraising. Herring said that PALS fulfills a need in the community, and it lowers the barriers that may exist to build a connection between humans and horses a connection that has existed for thousands of years. Our mission is really to promote joy and improve the quality of life and, and create better health uh, and help empower folks by providing a safe and enriching place for equine therapeutic programs. And I know that from Fern Goodman in the beginning, identifying recreational activities that are available for folks with disabilities. And it, things have gotten better, but there, there's still not a lot out there. So I would say, you know, the fact that we're here and we can provide a very safe environment for folks to grow and in regardless of what abilities they have, that's what we provide. It's a very enriching, supportive place to come and enjoy horses and connect with them. She said that even though PALS has been around for over two decades, most residents have not heard about the organization. Herring encouraged local residents to find out more. The one thing we find is that people, even though we've been in the community for 22 years, a lot of people have just never heard of this. We are located five miles west of I-69 off of Highway 45 next to Able Nursery. Uh, we're open Monday through Saturday, and I would just like to let the community know that our doors are open, and we invite everyone to come out and see what we're doing, the good work here, because I can tell you about it, but until you're in our barn and you experience, you know, those special moments, seeing those connections, it's just that words do not do it justice. So I have an open invitation to the community to come out to Powell and find out more. To learn more information about the People and Animals Learning Service, visit wfhb.org following this broadcast. For WFHB, I'm Cade Young. Up next, we have a new segment titled Activate first-person narratives from people working for positive change, done in collaboration with the Bloomington Volunteer Network. In today's edition of Activate, we hear from Josefa Madrigal, Latino Outreach Coordinator with the City of Bloomington. 
Welcome to Activate, featuring stories of inspiration from your community members who stand up for what they believe in and encouraging you to live your passion, make a difference, and get involved. Hi, my name is Josefa Madrigal. I work for the City of Bloomington Community and Family Resources Department. I'm the Latino Outreach Program Coordinator. And I also serve as a staff liaison for the city's Commission on Hispanic and Latino Affairs. I also work as the producer for WFHB La Bloomington. Spanish language newsletter, I serve as the editor. I do this in collaboration with other volunteers as well. They contribute to our newsletter. If you're interested, you let us know and we will add you to our list free and it's every month. So I also have a monthly deadline that I have to do and I could not do this if it wasn't for our contributors, collaborators as well, who are volunteers. And the topics also vary, similar to Ola Bloomington. We want to bring information, but also awareness to our community. I'm officially the staff liaison for the city's commission because it's composed of volunteers. We need to have a actual staff to be part of that. I'm not a commissioner, but I serve as the staff liaison to help commissioners achieve their goals as well. The Commission on Hispanic and Latino Affairs works to identify and research the issues which impact the Hispanic and Latino community here in Bloomington, especially in the areas of health, education, public safety, and cultural competency. The fact that it is composed by volunteers, Latino leaders, and non-Latino as well, is motivating just to know that we have a group of community leaders who want to be involved, engaged, and reach out to our Spanish-speaking population. Latino, um, Hispanic, they don't have to be Spanish-speaking, but it just helps. We have been working in collaboration with other agencies, um, other like-minded individuals as well that are interested in serving our, our population. Being able to work in collaboration with them, and then we come up with a plan and ensure that gap is being bridged. For example, the commission participated in an all-Spanish-language COVID-19 vaccine clinic. The information that we disseminate was all in Spanish. We were on the same page. We provided them the date, the times. We have done, in collaboration with the commission, Cities Latino programs, we have done a series of community outreach. So we have gone to um, the Spanish-speaking churches where they have service in Spanish. And then after their service, that's when we meet our community. And we have done different presentations like improving police and community relations, what to do if you get pulled over by an officer. We have a commissioner who is in law enforcement. He is able to provide that information to them, right? So I'm there as a staff liaison and also to answer questions that they may have to be that connection with the community as well. And so something as simple as telling them that you should wear your seatbelts and everyone in the car should wear your seatbelts, including children. We're also connecting with Amigos Club with MCCSE in which we want to reach out to the youth community as well so that they can learn and know about the Commission on Hispanic and Latino Affairs and that we're here. And then we also want to hear from you. So we want to hear from them and their concerns and how can we come to a resolution, you know, whatever that is, because every topic varies and it's different. So I also work in collaboration with El Centro Comunal Latino, who works with a lot of our incoming um, people like immigrants and Latinos in general. So they will either know from El Centro or 
and vice versa. Sometimes they'll come to me, the Latino programs at City Hall, and then I will share about El Centro as well as the commission, as well as Hola Bloomington, the Spanish language newsletters, and so on. So um, my my office as well as El Centro Comunal Latino, who's another entity um, serving the Latino community. Community outreach is definitely an important aspect. We have to be out there, be visible, be heard, so that we can also hear them and see them. Trust is a big thing, so if they trust you, they're there. The fact that we're Latinas as well, that we're um, Hispanic or Latina, and that we speak the language, it's a way to connect and trust us they connect more. Like I find it that they are like happy to be there or they're willing to be there because um, they know of us. My name is Josefa Madrigal. I serve as a staff liaison for the city's Commission on Hispanic and Latino Affairs, but um, I can definitely see commissioners being involved because they want to make a difference. They want to serve. They want to help commission meetings, which are the last Wednesday of every month at 530 at City Hall. Website bloomington.in.gov forward slash on board forward slash committees you've been listening to activate a co-production of wfhb and city of bloomington volunteer network working together to build an empowered vibrant engaged community to find more information about volunteering in your community visit bloomington.in.gov slash volunteer Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by myself, Noel Herhusky-Schneider, in partnership with CATS Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Cade Young. Activate is produced by Kirsten Payton. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Dee Kager. And I'm Noel Herhusky-Schneider. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at wfhb.org. The WFHB News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters, WFHB, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for With Good Reason, coming up next on WFHB.
listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 